Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Seed to Forest. In this episode, I, Gaurav Gupta, Chief Road Officer at HSF Foundation, will be speaking with Ratish Balakrishnan, Co-Founder and Managing Partner at Sattva Consulting. Ratish is an individual who likes to be at the intersection of social impact, consulting and entrepreneurship. And his organization, Sattva, is a mission-driven organization which focuses on building scalable social impact solutions. In this conversation, you can listen to Ratish speak about how Sattva created a culture and a team which would work towards solving social sector problems. How they came up with mantras which allowed them to grow significantly, working with a network of stakeholders, and how they would look for what would interest clients and that was made a part of the DNA of Sattva. I learned a lot about how to create social impact working with the network and I hope this episode unlocks a lot of possibilities for you too. Happy listening. Hello everyone, I have Ratish Balakrishnan with me today. Ratish is the co-founder and managing partner at Sattva. Sattva as an organization plays a key role in enabling impact, enabling social impact across uh, different sectors. And the Sattva was incepted around 14 years back. So it's been a bit of a long journey for Ratish and his team in terms of bringing it together and shaping it. Now speaking about Ratish, Ratish uh, was working with SAP Labs prior to Sattva. And for the past 14 years, he has been with Sattva. But the way Ratish describes his passion is to work at the intersection of social impact, entrepreneurship, and consulting. And at Sattva, he gets to do all three. So so in a way, he's living his dream. And we are quite keen to learn from him and uh, listen to his experiences. So welcome, Ratish. Thank you, Gaurav. Thanks for having me here. Great. Ratish, without any further ado, if we jump right into the origins of Sattva, I mean, what kind of led to the birth of the idea? So just to give you a bit of a background, uh, in 2004, a bunch of us who were interested in creating impact outside of our work lives actually came together to start a magazine called Sattva. The idea really was that there is this large population that is living out there who might not know the fantastic work that is done by non-profit organizations and others, and we wanted to sort of shed light for some fantastic work that happens. And between 2004 to 2008, this uh, magazine actually ran as an online magazine. It was a PDF that was sent every month. Each month we took a topic and talked about uh, largely stakeholders in India. And we covered everything from traffic to sexuality to education to a whole bunch of things. And over a period of time, built a good subscriber base of about 6,000 people who read that on a month-on-month basis. Uh, but this was entirely volunteer-driven, and around 2008 or we recognized two things. One is why we were telling these positive stories about social impact. The larger game of making change required more work than that. We recognized obvious challenges that were there on the social impact ecosystem, and we also recognized that working with those issues are more important for us to really see change. And second is we had this notion that maybe the volunteering initiative journey has sort of ended and there is an opportunity to really set, to set this up as a company, as a for-profit company that can do this. 
And four of us as co-founders came to uh, do this. I have to admit, all four of us were at different stages in our lives and our conception of what we're building. Right? It's, it's sometimes, I, you know, it's a twist of fate that we ended up building software as it was. Uh, Krishna, who's the CEO of the organization, really had a more long-term vision on what this company had to be. Vikram and Aarti were part of their life where they were going through a life change and they said they will come in full-time. Krishna and I actually were moonlighting between our day jobs and Sakwa, so sort of took up the five years to come in full-time. So when people ask me, why did we start Sattva? I think for me, it's a combination of four different things that came together. The first is the fact that we recognized that Sattva as it is, a consulting company, was the best use of the skills and capabilities we brought as people. You know, we were volunteers, we were writing a magazine, all of that stuff. But we were problem solvers and engineers by education. So we realized that consulting is the best fit to our skills, number one. Second, uh, it was also because we genuinely found the right co-founding team. I mean, starting a company is all about who you work with because you have such deep relationships with them. I feel we found the right people to start this together with and uh, three out of the four of us continue to be co-founders even today and work very actively with each other. Third is we were convinced that there is a for-profit model here because it's all important for us, all of us were parents or you know, had families that depended on us. And we knew that we wanted to do something that would pay the bills. And so we were always clear it has to be a private limited company. And we felt that this model will work. I think that's the third. And the fourth one really is our belief that there is a clear need that we were solving for. Having written about nonprofits, we recognized that uh, there were gaps, there were challenges, which an objective outsider will be able to add value with. And we felt that that value will create business value. And hence, let's get into that. So it's a combination of all of these four things. Excellent. All right. So, so speak to, you know, some of the early days of Sattva when it was formally incepted as an organization, as a for-profit organization, right? What were some of the initial kind of challenges or consulting kind of assignments that came through as a part of it? Yeah. So I would say divide Sattva's journey into three phases. You know, I would say 2009 to 2014 was one 2014 to 2017, and 2017 to, let's say, now. And I think we're probably entering the fourth phase. The idea really was to seriously form an organization. Right? Like we were just coming in and doing this on the side. And our first client was this remarkable organization called Udyogini. And Udyogini was a non-profit organization run by this phenomenal entrepreneur called Vanita Vishwanath, who continues to advise us. She wanted a consultant to help them transform from a non-profit model to a for-profit or a hybrid model. So I asked was that build a business plan. We said, you know, why do we want to build a business plan? We'll actually make this transformation happen. And that was an important choice that we will not only give a plan, but we will make things happen on the ground. It was a very critical DNA element that got embedded in the work that we did then. And uh, we still joke about it. So Krishna, you know, closed the deal with Vanita and found somebody to know the work. So essentially, we were somewhere in between trying to make the supply and demand meet. Now, because we never built a business plan for a non-profit before, so we found somebody who did, but we were able to then embed ourselves into that context and learn along the way. And subsequently, we worked with a two-member non-profit organization which was doing advocacy in waste. And they said that we also want to look at this non-profit or for-profit model. Uh, we advised them, embedded a person from our side into the organization to make that change, and today that organization is us. Uh, and they didn't have the cash at the time because they were really a small nonprofit. So we took equity the organization, which we continue to hold as they become one of the leading 
the waste management organization in this country. So these were some of the early conversations and engagements we had with stakeholders. A large part of it, very consciously, was non-profit organizations, which wanted to scale. And that was our focus. And nobody really was doing that at that time. We just really worked with the for two years, three years to make change happen. Our relationship with funders was very nascent, and corporates still were at a very different place at that point in time to create impacts. But working with nonprofits gave us a true understanding of how complex this problem is. And that was a good grounding. But I think along with that came a certain, uh, you know, not listening to the market, you being really this maverick. And it did have a huge impact on us in terms of saying, okay, what does it mean really to start a company? So between 2009 and 2014, we were maybe about 10 people. We were running a media business. We were running a consulting business. We had a recruitment business. We felt like we were doing fantastic work, but I think 2014 was a good wake-up call because A, we recognized that we will become this middling organization that does nothing of value, but still be very good about itself. And two, we also recognized that we weren't able to unlock the value you know, in terms of the market. And our board member, Sanjay Anandram, who you know, continues to be a huge support for us, truly just got us into a room and you know, gave us a thrashing and said, listen, are you going to wake up and do real stuff or not? So in 2014, we recognized that we can't run three businesses with 10 people. So we shut down our media business. We shut down our equipment business. Put all our leadership might on the consulting business that we were doing. And 2014 to 17 was really just growing up. You spoke about some of the learnings and the mistakes that happened during the first phase. And hence that board meeting and on the back of it, change in direction, right? And you spoke about the fact that the second phase was a growth phase. Yes. Right. And also you are building the culture, right? So speak through that a bit. What does growth entail? What does a growth phase look like? And while doing so, you know, how do you build the culture which is well aligned with uh, that growth phase? Yeah, yeah. Very good questions. One, I feel like growth stage has two parts. The first part is where you know you're growing, but nobody knows you. Right. And the second part where everybody knows you're growing because the growth is now visible. So 2014 to 17, no one knew that you were but we knew we were growing, you know, which is that we were able to, for the first time, do reviews in the organization. We had accountability. We had meaningful conversations in the organization. And more importantly, we became humble and started listening to the market. Right? That conception of even thinking about a business that way came in 2014 and 17. And culture, to the second question, is really only two things. It's role modeling and storytelling, which is... That what a leader does every day really defines culture. You know? And according to 17, was the first time we stepped back and said, okay, am I being consistent, especially in times of great risk, in role modeling the behavior that I think the organizations should role model? So, some of the best stories of Sattva that people still talk about today is from 2014 to 17. What we said, don't do as an organization, the way we behave with the client, what we did, it's all coming from that phase. And storytelling is also important to say, whenever the new people come, you tell these stories to say, hey, these are the values that are important to us. And in some sense, we're doing now that at scale, but for me, the two fundamental traits are really that. Right. So now what led to the rise of the third phase, right? I mean, uh, of course, you were doing well, you were growing, there was the storytelling happening, and then it was, you were building the culture. What changed during 2017? So 2017, we recognized that we can sort of become a you know, explore company if we do this. But we recognized that that's all we need. This that's, that's the end of it. And we realized that 
most organizations in the social sector are founder-led organizations. I remember I had this wake-up call when we were deciding to name all the meeting rooms and somebody said the meeting rooms have to be named after founders. And I said, that's going to be the end of this organization, right? Like, let's go to Ratish and be the founder of the meeting rooms. You don't know. So we said, listen, this has to change. So 2017, we brought, we had brought in a set of senior talent together, but we set up a call, the management team, where we said, everybody is this. So we said, founding a company is an accident of history. That's not a position. And incidentally, I was learning the entire delivery of software at that point. So I was given the smallest unit. And that sent a strong message to the organization because one, it told everybody that merit is what counts you. So if you have to sort of grow, there is no ceiling where you're the founder and it can't move when everybody has an equal chance to success. And two, it sent a culture where more than three or four people, 10 people started caring about the company. And once that happened, it became a lot more exciting to work. Of course, it was very painful in the beginning to adjust because no one cares about a company like a founder, but you want to create that culture and so on. And it was prescient for us that when COVID came, we were an organization of 10 leaders, 12 leaders, because of that change we made in 2017. And when we compared ourselves with a lot of our other peers, one or two founders, they ended up doing well, but they did one thing. Because we were 10 or 12 leaders, we did 10 things. And uh, we entered the pandemic with 120 to 130 people, we got out of the pandemic with close to 400 people. And for me, the singular reason for that was because we had more leaders who could drive different agendas rather than just the founders running everything. That itself is a very interesting aspect, right? Now, during this phase in particular, right, and COVID, of course, taught a lot of us a lot of different lessons, right? Did you see any change in the way people visualize impact or how they want to see impact on the ground? So, a couple of things. I think one is whether people will start impact differently, but for me, the leadership also saw suffer differently. So, one of my big realizations as a founder and a member of a leadership team now is that unless you're able to imagine the future version of your organization, you never become the leadership. Right. It's not that waves will come and take you there. You, it's a very willful direction to go to. And, uh, you know, I keep uh, telling this to my co founder as well that. There are people who run the business, but they have to be people who grow the business. And growing the business is actively thinking about what is the next version of ourselves. And I hope that we have in that few years of being able to do it. And the second thing that you highlighted is also did clients see the work we do differently? They did. And I think partially, if I remember what I said, this whole getting things done as a value proposition was how we started. And while it had resonance till 2019, during COVID, that became the only thing that was necessary. Like you didn't need a consultant to give you a plan. You wouldn't need a consultant to sort of do knowledge, engagement, etc. You needed people to get things done. And we ended up being an organization that went in and said, I can pull Right? So we set up collaborative initiatives. We anchored collaborative grants. We ran programs. We designed programs. And essentially, that value proposition product in terms of here is an organization that is able to think clearly but is also able to get it done became very, very real for us in that moment. And I think the other one, which I think goes back to some of the conversations we'll have later, is we recognized what is the value proposition of Sattva. Is one is the ability to get it done, but the second was this ability to build and orchestrate a network of stakeholders. We've been working with nonprofits as customers. 
donors as customers, governments as customers, corporates as customers. So we went there, we respected them and we dealt with them with empathy. And we were probably the only stakeholder who had thriving networks of stakeholders across all of these segments. And so when it come, came about COVID and collaboration, we were able to sort of activate all of these networks uh, and bring the stakeholders together to solve problems. So those two, I think, are probably the big shifts where these were things that we always believed in, but COVID, they just came together and became what was necessary. So in this context, uh, what kind of impact stories are you personally proud of where Satwa has worked? I am learning a lot in this conversation. Hope you are too. Which questions would you like me to ask? What areas would you like me to explore further? Please write to me at gaurav at takestep.org. So, you know, two years ago, I told myself that, you know, I was entering my 40s, I'm 41 now, and I told myself, what is it that I will be proud of? Right? Like, that this is something that I've been able to be a part of, or get, getting it done, etc. And I told myself that, you know, there are three outcomes that I thought were important for me to just measure myself against. One is really to be a part of the growth journeys of entrepreneurs who had ambitious visions, right? Because it's the best part of my role is to really be, you know, go to a mental gym of some sorts and work with inspiring leaders and bring these audacious vision. And not in any form of attribution, but just contributing to their growth journey in some form. And I've been very lucky to be working with some leaders like that. The second thing I told myself is, uh, can we set up entities, collaboratives that bring people together and that sort of has a life of its own and is able to demonstrate value. And I truly felt that the non-linear impact comes from bringing people together and getting them to work in a way where the value unlocked is greater than the friction of collaboration. And I think we've been able to do that again. Happy to give you examples. And the third thing that I really keep after about is, how do we, I think philanthropy or the conversational impact is going in a certain direction, which I think is significantly better than where it was a few years ago. But I do still feel can can be far more powerful. And then you don't have to do things, but in the way we talk about it, in the philosophy or the vocabulary we use to talk about impact, can I contribute to that conversation on impact by influencing the vocabulary of the ecosystem? Right? In a certain way, and we started the Sapa Knowledge Institute. Right now, for me, that's partly in the effort to become that specific voice to create effective philanthropy. So, as you can see, very humble goals, uh, three of them, and then next 10 years, that's the way I look at it. Uh, now, to practical examples, I'll start with a collaborative one. Uh, one of the things that I'm very excited about uh, being part of is the Life Skills Collaborative. We, and interestingly, it started with the first meeting of the Life Skills Collaborative with all of the partners happened a day after the lockdown or two days after the lockdown. Uh, so 19 organizations came together, having never met each other online, created a collaborative design on how they will work together in Life Skills and define what their goals are, unlocked about $5 million in funding. And today we have influenced four states and how we look at life skills. We have developed assessments that have been used or been deployed across at least two lakh children for across four states. Uh, we built a glossary that's used in multiple countries today effectively. And so to show that that can happen. And we recently did a meeting to discuss our next phase of growth. And it was exciting to see the amount of energy that was in the room. But I think the Life Skills Collaborative is an example of where collaborative action has come together. 
you know the bharat the tech initiative which again is a very similar sort of idea of bringing organizations together to solve something in scale on the inspiring entrepreneurs side it's just too many of them but uh, you know work we've done with the bermal foundation for example we i've personally worked with them for seven years which probably is the longest client consulting relationship i guess in the sector uh, and i've been an active part of the work they do i've been inspired deeply by the work that they are doing Uh, right now, I'm working with people like Sabina Rosen, you know, uh, Jagdish Rupala, etc. Because the entire sectors and it's deeply inspired. The sectors sort of watch the ambition they bring and to be part of that journey as well. Uh, but all of these, uh, you know, Aditya Prat, Sabina Rosen, all education and other organizations like Avanti and so on. Well, that's very useful. The teacher because it kind of helps articulate not just your passion. but also how you manifest your passion in the work that you do so congratulations to you on that so radish now uh, of course you know in satwal's journey as the evolution happened right uh, and of course through the different phases the mistakes the learnings etc somewhere uh, you know it would have led to hence the evolution of principles that go into the decisions that you make at satwal right so can you just speak through that i think uh, and this is an interesting question because i feel like we haven't done a great job of codifying them in a way that is replicable but i can enunciate a couple of them one is this continuous commitment to seeing impact happen on the ground rather than just talking about it and so what are the principles we always tell people at satwa is that if the client turns around and says you do this we do this right don't make a plan for somebody else where you have no skin in the game so i think that skin in the game thinking is definitely a huge part of how we work i think second is this whole leave no customer behind you know we genuinely commit ourselves to making sure that we are able to be part of our client success not to their satisfaction you know uh, i remember once we had this survey that we had launched for the customer success survey we sent it out because we had grown as a scale of the organization where the founders were speaking to all the clients and the first time we sent it out first client who responded gave us a four on 10 <laughs> we said this is and when we talked about a nine and an eight and which is really what our average number like but we went and parked there like the uh, I went and said the first time I went they didn't meet me they gave me greetings the second time I was like we have to meet you because you give me a four and today we work with them you know we have an actually today they are a customer of ours and they sign up for eighty months but that thinking of reading no customer and it's okay it's not okay to have one customer you have to take everybody along. however long it takes sometimes it takes a few years but you have to be at it i think this also an integral principle thinking that i think is important for us see looking at this right we have been uh, kind of noticing that you know the digital infra has a key role to play right now uh, what have been your reflections on the role that the digital infra has played so far and it can potentially play in the future i think i'll tell you what is deeply exciting about this team from the is that we you know i keep saying that we are a 1.4 billion people country uh, you know by far the largest one i think the next country after us if you exclude china is about 30 million right i mean there's not even a comparison we are in some sense getting a functional democracy to work for 1.4 billion people where all of them are out of extreme poverty is an experiment that we the world wants to succeed right and i don't anyone has solved that problem uh, it's a problem and when you work in the impact space it's so vexing sometimes to see the extent of this challenge and how bad things are but i think like the articulation that appeals to me is this whole thinking of context independent problems in the context dependent problems which is solving for india 
you have to separate what is the context independent problem that we are solving for and what are some other context dependent problems that we are solving and context independent problem is really how do you get things to move from A to B, how do you get the infrastructure established, how do you make sure that incentives for the government are set in place, how do you, all of this is context independent. How do you solve for that slum in Bihar where there is a continuous incidence of, let's say, malaria? Because there are too many mosquitoes there, that's a context dependent problem. And I feel that India has so much, you know, inspiring leadership who are trying to solve in every location a context independent and context dependent problem, which in 60 years they cross a certain dentin, right? And then they, uh, they have to then hand it over, etc. Is there a way? For us to build for the context independent problems to a digital infrastructure, which really just propels the entrepreneurs across the 7,000 blocks in India to solve for the context dependent problems in their blocks and the 746 districts that we might have. Is I think the promise that we truly have to solve problems at scale in India. For me, nothing else works, right? I feel digital is a scooter that makes a human being drive faster, right? Or move faster. We need entrepreneurial talent, we need social agency building, we need community empowerment, all of that. But to do that at scale, we need to combine this, uh, you know, what uh, Arman Aparna Hapide says, tech plus touch, right? Which is build the tech in a way that is truly scalable, which unlocks agency at the first mile for people who have the ability to create the change through touch. Uh, and that is honestly what is exciting about uh, uh, digital public infra for, for me personally, and I think which is also why it features so deeply in the work we are thinking about at uh, uh, You know, in many ways, we have a practice area for digital public goods now. We're working on multiple digital public goods initiatives. We are partnering with XTEP. We're talking to Sanjay Kuroh. Because we believe this is an extremely important area of work that needs to be done. Fantastic, Pradesh. Now we have come with that to the last segment, which is a quick rapid fire, just three or four questions. First one, your favorite mistake at Sattva? My favorite mistake at Sattva, uh, I once forgot my laptop on a plane and got into an extremely important business meeting. And incidentally, I had written my budget for the Sattva engagement as about 15, 20 lakhs and the total budget of the program was one crore. I go into the meeting and I write down, I use the whiteboard because I don't have my laptop, I write the program budget and the person says, is that Sattva's fees? I said, yes. <laughs> so I got a crow because I forgot my laptop on my plane. So that's probably my favorite supremacy. Wow. Your, your favorite aha moment? So I was uh, working on an engagement with a client. And it was a very unhappy engagement. The client was deeply unhappy. And it was not a nice person, uh, truth be told. And I remember uh, talking to my colleague. And the colleague was literally losing confidence in front of me. He was sitting in some eatery in Bombay. And he was basically saying, I spoke to my parents, I don't think this is part of my, I'm born for this, I shouldn't be doing this, and so on. And I remember telling myself at that point in time, things don't waste people over about this. Right? If a project is going to do this to somebody in my team, it's much better to make, take this person off, because in my mind I was thinking of how to convince this person to continue on this project, etc. Uh, the person today continues to remain in supply, he's part of a management team, and he's grown significantly. The project, of course, went as it went in redeemable. But that thinking of people over projects, I think, has been a big aha moment. It continues to drive my leadership style. That's excellent. Favorite moment where you heard something from the 
client or let's say from the end consumer, which really excited you? I once uh, was talking to a client and the client had got an opportunity to work for the state for five years. And uh, there was this, uh, so I was telling them that five years, eight times, the court talk to the state, understand what they want, let's go three days. And the client turned around and said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to believe in my own conviction and what I think the education system needs. And we spoke for 30 minutes as an argument with 50 people watching us. And we had a very healthy argument. And in the end, I told them, this is new. your organization, you have to do this, but I agree to disagree. And the 60 people felt that was staged, you know, because we were respectfully disagreeing for 30 minutes between two people who are reading different organizations. But for me, that moment helped, you know, that, that part of us as role as advisors is not to agree with the client. You know, it's not to do what they're asking. It's to bring that belief that challenges how people think about their problems. And I think that obviously is awesome. Your favorite prediction for the future? <laughs> My favorite prediction for the future. I think that uh, my son is going to find himself in a job that is so much more exciting than anything we're going to do right now because everything else we do right now is going to be done by Jan. Oh, wow. So, so we, we don't even know what your son will do in that year. Exactly. We have no imagination of that. Excellent. Amazing. Thank you so much, Ratish. It was a really an insightful conversation. And it was a pleasure listening to your reflections about the journey of Satwa and what it is today and where it can be tomorrow. So wish you and the team at Satwa the, the very best in terms of being able to create the impact that you are really going after. And we wish that the three things that you thought of personally really come true to the fullest. So thank you so much. Thank you, Gaurav. I think this country needs a lot of entrepreneurs. So anyone who's listening, my only thing is, I know it seems like a death right to start something, but do start because we need so many more entrepreneurs than what we have. On that note, thank you so much. And it was really a pleasure. I unlocked a lot of possibilities in this conversation. Hope it did the same for you. Which leaders would you like me to meet? What would you like me to ask them? Please write to me at gauravetextep.org.